0: Last Sunday morning, at the beginning of the new year, our brother, Roger Crawshaw brought us uh, a blessed uh, incentive for the new year, that we may know Christ. But you have two Rogers here, and so you're going to get a double dose. And I want to look at a promise for the new year, a promise for the new year. And I'm looking at James chapter 1 and verse 5. James 1, 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not and it shall be given him. We are faced here with a a wonderful aspect of the character of God and one which is so consistently borne witness to through the scriptures. It's so consistently borne witness to to that, one could almost think of it, although I'm not saying it is, an attribute. It's something very deep in the character of God. It springs from His character. God is love. I want to just quickly illustrate the point by reference to four uh, verses, four places, and I shall just read them, and we just get a sense of how consistent. Scripture's witness is to this aspect of God. Psalm 145, we had our opening uh, hymn based on this psalm, and verses 15 to 16. The eyes of all wait upon thee, and thou givest them their meat in due season. Thou openest thine hand, and satisfiest the desire of every living thing. God's giving to a fallen creation even to the animals as well as to human beings. Well, Matthew chapter 5, we come into the New Testament, to the Sermon on the Mount, and verse 44 and 45. But I say unto you, says Jesus, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. Practical examples of our God's giving nature, even to the ungodly as well as the godly. Or Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. We ask and he does, he gives. And then we come back to James chapter 1 and just uh, go down with your eye to verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness neither shadow of turning. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. In one of John Blanchard's books, he tells this story, the story of a, an old woman who lived alone. She was so poor that she found it difficult to pay the rent to keep a roof over her head. One morning, the local minister called to see her. He knocked at the door several times, but there was no reply. As there was no reply, he went away. That afternoon he called again, and getting no reply at the door, he looked in at the window. The old woman sat, huddled over a few smouldering embers in the fireplace. When she looked up and saw him, she immediately went to the door and welcomed him in. I called this morning, he said, but there was no reply. Oh, I heard you knocking, she answered, but I thought you had come to collect the rent. And it's characteristic, is it not, of all of us, all human nature really, to make the same mistake about God. He knocks and we instinctively see him coming to collect, whereas in fact he is a giving God, a God who gives in grace and mercy. And we see that brought out in this particular text, this particular precious promise of Scripture. Just notice how different His giving is from human giving, the kind of giving that we give uh, to others. Firstly, it's to all men, to all people. There's no selectivity. There's no bias. There's no what you might call reverse snobbery, that he will only give to the poor and not to the rich. He gives to everybody. There's no selection. And notice, secondly, it's liberal. Or, uh, the word liberal there could also be translated simple. In other words, there's no hidden agenda to it. It's open. God's giving, God's gifts, are not with some kind of hidden agenda of unpleasantness. You know, you take the sweet, you eat it, and then there's, it leaves you with a foul taste. There's no sting in the tail, as a, a message, a text in Proverbs makes clear, Um, proverbs 10 and verse 22 uh, how the lord's gifts uh, leave just a sense of joy the blessing of the lord it maketh rich and he addeth no sorrow with it so there's no undisclosed cost there are costs about the gospel of grace and the cost of following jesus christ but they're all open there's nothing in the small print So that you could be deceived. It's to all men, it's liberal, and he upbraideth not. He doesn't tell you off. He doesn't give you a thorough going over when you come to him and ask for wisdom. Indeed, when you come to him through Christ and ask for mercy. He doesn't gloat. He doesn't reproach you for your past. Because as the Lord's Prayer reminds us, he is our Father in heaven and he has given to this world the most precious gift that he could ever give that is his dear son jesus christ given for the salvation of sinners he that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all how shall he not with him also freely give us all things that of course is addressed particularly to christians but really it's also intrinsically a gospel addressed to anybody, to any unbeliever. He didn't spare his own son. He didn't keep back Jesus Christ in heaven as we've been thinking at Christmas time. But he sent his own son in human nature to be the propitiation for our sins. And the son came willingly. And so he has given us, as a pledge of all his giving character he has given us Jesus Christ the savior but the particular promise we have here is for for the need of wisdom if any of you lack wisdom let him ask of god now there's no question but we all need wisdom what is wisdom wisdom is more than knowledge it includes knowledge, but it's more than knowledge. There's a whole book in the Bible devoted to the subject of wisdom. It is the book of Proverbs. And there are other sections of the Old Testament that are counted as wisdom literature Job, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and some of the Psalms. Because they all, these particular scriptures, have within them this thought this key thought concerning wisdom, that wisdom is to be found in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the fear of the Lord, what is the fear of the Lord? Well, the fear of the Lord is to stand in reverence and awe of God. It's to know him, but to know him with awe. And with trembling as it were. To rejoice with trembling. There's an element of deep, deep respect. But there's also an element of joy and liberty. So wisdom is more than head knowledge. Although it includes the knowledge of who God is. Of who Jesus Christ is. The Trinity and all that the Bible reveals. But it isn't just a matter of textbook answers about these things. It's the fear of the Lord, as the book of Proverbs makes clear, in practical life situations. And we see that even here in James chapter 1. As James, right there with the church, under pressure from within and from outside, under pressure from the temptations to uh, sin that Christians know, uh, under pressure from persecution and oppression and so many situations this throws up and he gives life examples here in chapter one he talks about the various trials in verse two diverse temptations the things that try our faith and he talks about the problems that come through extreme inequality of wealth the person who is very rich and the person who's very poor and the person who is so tempted and tried that he almost thinks that God is against him. Although God cannot tempt with evil, neither tempteth he any man, as it says. And all these kinds of life problems, practical situations, the kinds of things that just the world cannot help us with, because the world, that is those outside of Jesus Christ, they may have lots of knowledge, but they don't have wisdom they don't stand in awe and reverence and love for God and therefore there's something twisted and skewed about the advice they give the world's folly is seen particularly in what they did to Jesus had they had more than the wisdom of this world they would never have crucified the Lord of glory but they didn't see it they didn't understand it And the natural man, we're told, receives not the things of the Spirit of God because they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. So you can have very intelligent people who wouldn't have a dunce's cap on their head. But spiritually, they are dunces. Spiritually, they're dunces because they do not understand and love and know God in that intimate way, that way of salvation through Jesus Christ. And it's this wisdom that the writer here is telling us we need. And God is able and willing, more than willing, to give it to us. He gives it to us by his Spirit and he gives it to us by his words. As it says here, of his own will begat he us with the word of truth. There's a strong connection between the gift of the Spirit and the gift of Of the word of God. The work of the word of God. And in a sense. You could say. That. This is really a gospel promise. Because where is this wisdom to be found? If any of you lack wisdom. Let him ask of God. Well it is to be found in Jesus Christ. Not as some detached packet. You know like. A packet that comes in from Amazon. Or some other Uh, distributor some other retailer and you get it there it is on the doorstep wisdom doesn't come like that wisdom comes in Christ as first letter to the Corinthians make clear of him are ye in Christ Jesus who of God is made unto us wisdom and so when you read the book of Proverbs and we just read one little snatch out of it we discover It doesn't have the kind of wisdom that this world often talks about. Do you apply for this job or do you apply for that job? Do you marry this person or that person? Do you get married or not married? Do you have children? It doesn't come to us with a particular answer just there and then. Occasionally it can happen like that, but usually it doesn't. What Proverbs is, is something that leads us to Jesus Christ and his character being worked out in life situations. It's about character that's built in the fear of God so that whatever situation we are in, we know how to handle it. Whether it is some disastrous domestic situation, whether it is some awesome attendance at the palace where you have to watch what you say and what you do and what you eat or whether it is to do with having to live cheek by jowl with those that haven't got this wisdom, who Proverbs calls fools, whether it's even to do with the care of animals, whether it's to do with your relationship with those who are above you in life or below you in life, those, whether you're an employer or an employee, or in the days of Proverbs, whether you were a slave or not a slave. All these things... It helps you to understand what the heart that is full of Christ does. And so if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. And what does he do? He gives, he gives liberally. He does not upbraid. He doesn't tell us off. He freely gives us Christ. It's really a great gospel promise. And we see... The sense of how this is about Christ, if we just turn to chapter 3 in James, I was talking with the children about the wrong use of the tongue, and this is an example, the wrong use of the tongue is an example of the wisdom of this world at work. The wisdom of this world which ultimately is set on fire, we're told, by hell. The use of the tongue to destroy, to hurt, to curse, To spew out, as he says here, bitter water. But what is the opposite? Well, it's the opposite in the mouth of a wise man is verse 13 of chapter 3. Let him show out of a good conversation, out of a good way of life, his works with meekness of wisdom. And then you get, but if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. We've really just been reading in verse 17 a character study of what I was saying about verse 5. And God's giving, pure, peaceable, gentle, easy to ask, full of mercy, good fruits. No hypocrisy, no preference, no unfair preference. It's really a study of the character of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, is it not? As we see him dealing with rich and poor, high and low, equally full of love and grace and truth and holiness. And so even as life's great aim must be, as we were so helpfully told last week, life's great aim must be to know Christ. God's great promise is that through Christ we can know him and we can know how to live wisely, we can know how to manifest the character and the love of Christ and make the right choices and go in the right path. But we have here, and this brings us to the last section of our consideration this morning, we have here just a reminder that that there are problems, potential problems here. Uh, It is an open and free and gracious promise, but there are conditions attached Not conditions of salvation by works, but conditions of holiness. So verse 6, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So what is it that's going to prevent us from receiving that wisdom which is from above, which is the Lord Jesus Christ guiding us and helping us and being with us and molding our character, which will help us to make the right choices? What are the the things? Well, I think there are three things that are here alluded to at least. And the first is, of course, sheer unbelief. Let him ask, we're told, in faith. If you don't believe that there is a God, if you don't believe what's said of him in the Bible, that he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet one God, and that he created this world, and he sent his son Jesus to die for our sins and raised him from the dead. If you don't believe these and other precious truths, if you just think the whole thing is, is wrong, well, of course, you won't get that wisdom. That's unbelief. It's a dreadful sin. It's also a dreadful blinding thing. As, as we were thinking earlier, the princes of this world, Pontius Pilate, Herod, the chief priests, the, the scribes and Pharisees, all important people, all very able people, knowledgeable people, many of them. And yet, full of unbelief. They had no faith in the person and work of Christ. And so they didn't Walk in the wisdom of God. It may be that that's where somebody here this morning is in their heart. That's exactly your position. You would perhaps put it so bluntly, but that's really your position because you have never entrusted yourself to God and to Christ. You've never repented of your sins. You've never believed on Jesus. And so this promise is not for you, except you take it in in the sense that God says, I will give you Christ, I will give you wisdom, but you must believe on him. You must trust in him. You must cease from your own thoughts. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And then he will direct your paths. Don't ask him for advice in your marriage, in your, uh, in your household accounts in your problems with your neighbours or your job, don't go asking him for advice there because you haven't got faith in him. You're not in that relationship, which is the fear of the Lord with him. When you've got that seen to, then indeed this precious promise applies to you within the Christian life. So that's the first problem, unbelief. But the second problem, which is very related to Unbelief, of course, is the problem. Not exactly of complete and total unbelief, in the sense of just I do not believe, but it's to be wise in your own conceits. I'm using there a wonderful King James version phrase, and it, it, it's it's a devastating phrase, isn't it? You know, to have an opinion. To know how it goes. And yet it's all in your own conceits. It's all out of your own mind. So you can say, yes, I do believe some of the Bible. Some of it's true. Uh, yes, it's a wonderful thing to give us values for life. And Jesus said some wonderful things and was an example. But I don't, I'm not sure whether I believe all this stuff about hell. And I'm not sure whether I believe all this stuff about God creating the world in six days, and all the things about the miracles—I'm so not so sure about that. They, they were people of their time. What's that, friend? That's to be wise, yes, to be have knowledge and views and philosophy, but it's in your own conceits that also doesn't qualify. That also doesn't get that wisdom which is from above. And then thirdly, to come more specifically and explicitly to what verses 6 to 8 are warning us against. And because this is addressed to Christians, it isn't addressed to those who would be in outright unbelief or wise in their own conceits, but it's addressed to those who are wavering. But let him ask in faith nothing Wavering, Because this too, although it's not so gross a sin, is still something that will prevent that gift of wisdom coming into your heart. Let him ask in faith nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Wavering, not so much outright unbelief as hesitation and uncertainty. Balancing between faith and unbelief and often inclining to unbelief. We have a number of examples of that in the Bible. Think of Simon Peter, Matthew 14. He sees Jesus walking on the water. And Peter says to Jesus, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. Peter gets out and walks on the water to go to Jesus. And indeed, he does walk on the water. He, he said to him, bid me come to you. And Jesus answered, yes, come. And he goes towards Jesus. But as he goes, he sees the wind boisterous and he's afraid and it begins to sink. He's wavering, isn't he? And he begins to sink. And yet God, Jesus in his love and kindness, when he cries for help, Lord save me, Jesus, Jesus stretches forth his hand and catches him. Now, While there may not be a complete correspondence between that passage and James 1.5, it does give us an illustration of what wavering does. When you have half an ear to all the different voices When you have half an ear to all the different doubts. That's like looking at the wind and the waves. That's being like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. Well, let's just take perhaps a slightly more apt example. 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 21. On Mount Carmel, the prophets of Baal have failed to call down fire from heaven upon the sacrifice Elijah is about to do this wondrous work or God is about to use his servant and there are the people and Elijah has great understanding of where they are in their hearts and he says to the people how long would you halt between two opinions if the Lord be God follow him but if Baal then follow him he sees where they are they're they just don't know which way to go they don't know whether to trust or not to trust they're trying to face in two directions at once now we're just not to be like that with god and with the lord jesus christ brothers and sisters we're just not to go like that it's it's uncomfortable it's unhappy you can't be happy in your christian life like that and it just doesn't work Yes, you're saved, you belong to the Lord Jesus, he's washed you in his precious blood, he's made you his child, but you're going to have an unhappy journey to heaven if you go that way. It's like what C.H. Spurgeon used to talk about. He said, "It's you need to go to heaven first class rail, not third class, not in some sort of cattle wagon. You need to go comfortably and delightfully. And all of us, therefore, need to take heed to this Great uh, exhortation. We should be nothing wavering. Now that doesn't mean that we twist God's arms and say, I want it now. Of course not. We are still his children and he is our heavenly father. Our father who is in heaven. And he molds our character. And often it's the long haul, as it were, that wisdom Shows itself, manifests itself in us. But let's really trust him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. Well, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. That giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. And it shall be given him. Do you really believe that? God's word, God's promise.